Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 77. I'm Rocco, and with me this week is Ballistic Overkill's newest candidate, Ryan. That's right, I am tier 12. <laughs> and there is also Zeb, who was with us last night. And I'm still tier zero. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> Michael, the ninja. The ninja, exactly. I slice and dice. Uh-huh. And we are super excited this week because we have with yes. us a guest, Ryan Sipes from Thunderbird. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing awesome. I am really happy to get to talk to you. I've been trying to get an interview with you for over a year, and it's just never ended up happening, but... I am super excited. So you are right now the community manager for Thunderbird. That's uh, right. You were formerly with System76. Uh, you were with uh, Mycroft at one time. You have all the social media outlets. But before we get into all of the work that you've done in the open source community, let's get to know you a little bit and tell us about your first experience with Linux uh, or open source. Sure. Well, I used open source software back uh, probably as long as I've been using a computer, but I didn't know that it was open source software. You know, the, the I remember now thinking back, there were programs that I used whenever I was still on Windows that back in like junior high that I didn't even realize were pieces of open source software, various uh programs you know obviously everyone can say like things like firefox um but you know also i remember gimp sometime in there giving that a try right time i didn't you know didn't know anything about it beyond it allowed me to do the things that i wanted to do with images and uh i would say probably my freshman year of high school uh i probably was aware of linux before then but that's the first time that i put it on a disk and actually booted into Linux. And um, I remember it being pretty, pretty hard because you had to compile software then that you wanted to use Mm -hmm. uh, generally. But I remember just being struck by this idea that I could change anything about this environment that I was in. You know, it, it was a GNOME 2, I think it might've been Ubuntu, I'm fairly certain Ubuntu was the first thing that I used. Uh, and if it wasn't that, then it might've been Mandrake, but I'm pretty sure it was Ubuntu. And I remember, uh, and I remember looking online at changing a theme and then I started digging into that more and started changing things about the desktop that, you know, (laughs) that I thought at the time was like really cool. I don't remember all the stuff that I did. I just remember just changing everything just for the sake of changing it and uh just because you could yeah that's right i mean it was like it throughout my high school linux uh time was all about making my desktop looks really really cool and showing friends how cool (laughs) my desktop was so like it wobbly windows like that was like the most awesome thing the cube, the desktop cube was everything. Like I would show my friends that as soon as they came over, it's like, 
look at what you can do with this. And then they're like, well, what else can you do? And it's like, well, okay. That's not, that's not important about, yeah. yeah. about the cube. <laughs> but look at the cube. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so that was a, that was a rough time for Linux too. That was, I mean, now when I talk to people about Linux who haven't been using it since back then, you know, it seems like a foregone conclusion that it would have the prominence that it has now, especially in, you know, tech and the world of startups and, you know, mm-hmm. big companies like Google. But back then that was, it did not feel like a foregone conclusion that it was like it, you would talk to, you know, nine or uh, more than that, like 9.9 out of 10 people had no idea what you were talking about <laughs> when you start talking about Linux. And then you'd like try to introduce someone to it and they'd be like, yeah, but where, where's my games? Like I want to play. <laughs> of course the game question I, always comes up. Right? Yeah. Always. Or it was like, or it's like somehow I just had this happen recently. I moved someone over to Linux and it still happens And it. I don't know how this happens. And this is not a fault of Linux anymore. I don't feel like, but everyone has that one program that only they use. Yes. And yes. it's like, and you get somebody moved over and they're happy for like three weeks. And then they're like, I tried to use this, a completely obscure program last week and it didn't work. And it's like, well, what does that program do? And they, and then they go on to explain like this incredibly niche, like, <laughs> thing that they do. and it's like, it's like, wow, like that is very specific that that program did that. And so back then that was much harder. Now, most people honestly can sit down in front of a, in front of a Linux machine and frankly not even care. That they're on Linux, but that back oh, then yeah. not the case. Right. And yeah. I and I was a bad kid. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was just like, I was a rebel. You know, like that's what I felt like. I mean, probably all teenagers are, but yeah. I like one time I went through the computer lab at my school and installed Linux on all the machines and just. <laughs> that's not a rebel. Them. That's a smart person. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just wiped out the hard drive and and. Uh, sitting back and just watch. yeah when i go on team events now like where i work everyone knows i'm the big linux fan so like we were at a hotel doing a team event and everyone were walking by computers and i'm like that will be linux by tomorrow that will be linux by tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> like anything i see is gonna have linux on it um but you mentioned that you started using open source software didn't even realize it was open source did you have any pre knowledge or use of windows at that time and you just still found the ability yeah, to tweak and right. customize. Yeah. Well, you, you know, up until, up until high school, up until I, you know, a freshman in high school, I, I had not, I, I had not put Linux on anything. Um, I, like I said, I probably was aware of Linux in some way, shape or form just because I lived on the internet, mm-hmm. at the time, which was really painful because I lived in rural Missouri. So I had dial up internet until the day I left for college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry. Like, yeah, so people people take for granted. I still try not to take for granted having fast internet because I remember downloading Ubuntu at home and just having it connected for like a week and a half. <laughs> like just that just focusing on this one thing and I had a download manager back then, you know, now the downloads are a little smarter like if they fail, sometimes you can hit retry on current right. route. Yeah. Back then, that was not okay. If it failed halfway through, you had to start over. Mm-hmm. So I had like a download manager that did, that handled some of this and mm-hmm. tried to, you know, restart it. I remember that 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 exact problem uh, when I first when I first like fully embraced Linux. That that problem was so 
uh, annoying that I joined a, a project that makes a download manager so that, so it would stop happening. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so like there were it once I had it. Actually, it's ironic because once I had an Ubuntu Live CD, one of my friends came over like the next day and just handed me like a, a bootable, you know, CD. And I was like, I was like, are you serious? Like I could have used this like a, two weeks ago. Of course. <laughs> but the, but yeah. And, and back then it was so cool too. Cause I felt, I felt like a techno sorcerer, you know, like uh, <laughs> it, there were yeah, exactly. so many like little Linux tools that were just incredibly neat or useful. And mm -hmm. uh, especially for like even troubleshooting, I mean, they're still around, but for troubleshooting, like, my friends, Windows computers. Yeah. You know, like, oh, it's not working. You know, it's because of X, Y, or Z. Oh, let's boot into this live disk and let's address it through this live yeah. disk. I'm kind of shocked that people aren't like amazed by the fact that you're using something else to fix their machine that isn't the same operating system at all. Yeah. It, 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 I've had like maybe two out of the hundred people that I've helped that with in that way go, oh, well, what are you using to fix it? Yeah. So I think, I think that, I, I think that most of the time people didn't re remotely realize like what was yeah happening. Like I said, it was, it, I, I say techno sorcery. It was, it really was like no one, <laughs> like it was all magic. Like somehow, you yeah. know, this kid comes over, he's fixing my computer. Who knows what he's doing? He's like, <laughs> like he's conjuring some kind of magic over there in front of the computer and then it's fixed. And, uh, and it's still it's still kind of like that to this day. The terminal <laughs> makes you feel powerful, man. Because <laughs> I'm the newest one of everybody in Linux. I remember the first time where the terminal finally clicked, and I was doing commands out of my head, and I'm like, I'm like a real hacker now. Like it yeah. just feels powerful, you know. <laughs> they are they are like magical incantations. I think I told Brian. <laughs> I think I told Brian Lunduk that once. Like we were talking about it, and when you first get to that point that you know what you're know your way around, you. Yeah. Feel you like I know all these magical incantations that I can type in and make the computer do what I want it to do. Yeah. Uh, some of that's I think as we progress further and further, as we have more time with this technology, as, with technology in general, especially when it comes to you know computers, we abstract away from you know all of the nuts and bolts that make a that make up an operating system. Right. So mm -hmm. I think now less and less you're going to have less and less stories like ours, you know, of tinkering and learning this stuff because even the, the geeky kids, I talk a lot to young, young people in, in high school, uh, just as part of like, I enjoy doing that. And when, and these are techie kids, but they're, but they're almost like not, ex nothing exposes them to that. You yeah. get ex used to get exposed to that in mm -hmm. windows or in, you know, even Mac in the mainline operating systems because they they were not very they did not account for most of like there were a lot of reasons you had to touch you know, <laughs> registry and Windows and things like that. Yep. Yeah. And you, they would start like the Chrome OS and stuff. There's none of that basically. Yeah. Exactly. It's all abstracted away, and so the and so you don't see that. I don't. You don't hear as many stories like this. And so I'm curious to see how how this new generation of techies, how, how they, what their stories are. Like my story is, you know, finding Linux, I can customize all the things. I do think there will be geeks like us, you know, who yeah. fall into Linux one way or another, but I'm curious what their stories are going to be, how they're going to, it's probably the, probably our phones. 
you know, yeah, yeah more than likely it's phones or yeah, tablets or something like that. Stuff onto yeah. it, but the but I'm very curious to see where that where that next generation comes from. So anyway, that's yeah. a very long version of getting introduced <laughs> to it. We're only through one question. <laughs> so, well, well, speaking of the next generation, how about the next generation of technology in itself? So you've described yourself previously as a technologist. So what are your favorite emerging technologies that, you, that you're looking at? Machine learning. I used a lot of that at Mycroft. Nice. I still play around with machine learning. I think that, I think I have this conversation all the time because people, people ask me about it because of my background at my, Mycroft, because we had a lot of instances where we were trying to train models to understand human speech. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was really fun, but it also, you begin to see a trend where it's like, wow, this is, this is completely achievable. You know, given if we have a big enough data set, this is achievable. What else is achievable? What else is, can we automate? And then and then it be then you uh, the realization I came to, and some people might disagree, is you can automate almost anything. <laughs> and so the so that has a lot of really interesting societal consequences. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of people who believe that their jobs are safe, who believe that they can't be replaced. But I tell them all the time, I, I'm sure my job can be replaced. I'm sure that we'll have machines that can have this conversation you know, within my lifetime. So what, what does that mean? I mean, they may not have, you know, the, but I do think that there's going to come a point where, for instance, you call a business nine times out of 10, you already get, you already get machines. They're just not very good. They're not very fun to talk to, right. but eventually you'll be able to, you know, have a conversation with the machine that will ask you about your day and have a follow to have a really normal sounding conversation. Mm-hmm. And there've been recent demonstrations that kind of show that yeah, that's possible. Yeah. With Google duplex. And so yeah. the, the question is we have some as technologists and as a wider society, but it'll hit us first. We have so many neat conversations to have around what, what that looks like. And then the repercussions of that is what does society look like when, you know, so many things can be automated. What, are we going to set limits on what can be automated or are we going to, you know, see a big change in, in everything. And so I think that when we talk about the next step, it's definitely machine learning and what the repercussions of that look like. I don't know, but it'll, it'll be big. It'll be much bigger than this, than the mobile, you know, the last, thing which is apps and mobile this will be much 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 bigger fortunately it's all running on linux so (laughs) as long as we don't lose the ability to have a conversation with people normal people regular people we just just won't know that whether or not they're people or not right (laughs) rocco it will not change right don't worry (laughs) so so before we get to that change though they're going to have to be programmed as to what it is you do. So before we invite the robot back onto the next uh, live stream, what's your current working day like? What does the community manager for Thunderbird get up to on a day-to-day basis? Sure, sure. Um, Well, just to give some background on Thunderbird, you know, Thunderbird is a fairly long-standing project that used to be under the Mozilla Corporation 
list of projects. So that would include Firefox. And uh, this idea was to create a mail client that really just allowed you to be more productive. And um, here, not too long ago, I think it was 2014, Mozilla Corporation changed their strategy and focused on some other products and gave Thunderbird over to the community. We still have a financial home in the Mozilla Foundation, which is the nonprofit um, Mozilla arm, but the project is entirely run by the community and a council elected by the community. Nice. So that's nearly every year, the, ca- the community elects seven members of the community who have been contributors to, be, to serve on the council. So the council decided to hire me. We fortunately, we saw donations and that's very, very helpful because it allows us to hire engineers to make sure that everything continues to build and work and uh, developers to address bugs. And, and then of course they, they hired me because they felt like we needed to go uh, to go in a new direction and continue to address concerns of contributors, bring in new contributors, and just in general, just build, rebuild the community because the community is one that in Thunderbird is one that has been around for a long time, but the software landscape is a lot different than it was when Thunderbird started. And so my, my day generally consists of speaking to contributors, speaking to the press or other, you know, media. And, uh, and finally, uh, just working on getting people involved, whether that's um, by just simply downloading and becoming a user of Thunderbird by contributing code or designs or ideas, or finally, you know, giving a fiscal donation, um, you know, in the event that you don't feel like you can, you can make any contribution to the project itself, it helps a lot to have the money to make sure that Thunderbird remains a stable, active platform. I mean, that's and, one of the things we keep trying to bring to the forefront in a lot of discussions here recently. And I think last week it was Sparky Linux related. We were talking about where they're, you know, they're different looking for, you know, funds to help out with this stuff. So that's definitely a great way that people can contribute. And we think it should be highlighted, not something people kind of shy away from because we use mm-hmm. these products. We love these products. You got to support these products out there if you want to keep them around and, and have them continue to advance. And, and Thunderbird, something that, you know, when people talk about, uh, when people shame donation requests, like I've seen that in some open source projects, mm-hmm. they don't realize even not counting people's time. If you think everyone who gives open source should be a volunteer, you know, everyone who contributes to an open source project should be a volunteer. That's whatever. But, but honestly, Thunderbird has 26 million users. So we have a pretty significant infrastructure just to make sure that Thunderbird is downloadable at any point in the day. Can or you say that big. number again? I think I misunderstood you. What was that number? We have 20, <laughs> we have 26 million users. Oh my god! And so the so we have to just make sure that everybody's getting updates, everybody's able to download Thunderbird, and that Thunderbird is building every day, and that and that's not counting anything else that we have to do for the development of Thunderbird. That's just counting you being able to download the final product. So there's, so there's a lot, uh, that, that is not cheap. No. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, um, and we distribute to, oh boy, we distribute in 
so many different languages, <laughs> so many different regions. You know, we have different versions of the website. You can go and view the website and and I some crazy amount of languages and and you know that is just not it's not easy to do that. It's just not mm. easy to to make Absolutely. sure that everyone everywhere can use Thunderbird. And that's that is very, very hard. And so the uh and so yeah that's that's what the donations go to is making sure that you can get Thunderbird, you can use Thunderbird and that it's safe and secure and respects your privacy and stable and it works. So nice. uh, so anyway, that's my, my day is generally just making sure that people are contributing to Thunderbird, people are aware of Thunderbird and that, and, uh, that we're, we continue to receive financial backing as well. Well, one of the reasons you have 26 million users is because of the stability of Thunderbird and how yes. well it works. So when you became the community manager, what did you find is to say is your biggest hurdle to help the Thunderbird project out with? Sure. It's an old project. And I, th I think, I mean, relatively, if you look at where I've come from, you know, and, and I've come from a, a, a startup that I co-founded, Mycroft, and then a relatively startup, startup-like company, System76. I mean, it's been around for 10 years, but it's, but it's still, you know, yeah. growing very fast. Right. And so the idea there is, is a lot of things aren't in place. So you, so you're constantly trying to put things in place. <laughs> you know, we need this, we need to do this, we need to do this every day. It's like, you're almost, almost like you're realizing something, something's missing that needs to be done in Thunderbird. It's the exact opposite. There are many, many things in place. And every day you're realizing that there's something that's existing in place. And then you're, you're seeing whether or not it's still working, whether or not it's still, you know, if it's a contributor resources, you're finding them every day and you're realizing, oh, maybe these need to be updated, you know, <laughs> or maybe these aren't even helpful anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, or there are these personalities in the project that are clashing, but they've both been there for, you know, since its inception. And so, you're kind of acting as a mediator between those. There are so many, there are so many new challenges with coming into an existing large project that are totally different than, you know, trying to go as fast as possible and build up things as quickly as possible. Yeah. And so I think the biggest hurdle has been just that it's an, it's a big old project. And so there are so many I call I would say so many tendrils coming off of the project that you you've you discover new ones every day and you have to figure out whether or not they're helpful and whether or not they're driving towards Thunderbird's goals and vision. So obviously when you came on board you you were working on some of those things that you wanted to tackle with a very very well established infrastructure but you also had some experience with System76, which we've also had on the show before when you were working with them. Were there any things that you learned at System76 that you then took and applied to your position as community manager at Thunderbird? Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. The, at System76, I, I continued to make friends in the open source community, make acquaintance with various people in the media 
and in the tech media. And, and that's been really, really helpful to bring those along to this, to this project because everyone knows Thunderbird. I mean, a lot of, most techies know Thunderbird. Yeah. But uh, until I got there, I went, before I actually joined, I did this thing where I called, called up friends and asked them, what do you think of Thunderbird? And, you know, nice. like, and what I heard was they were like, is Thunderbird still being developed? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, okay, you know, I marked that down in the, in the book and it's like this, and that was the number one response. So that was number one, you know, what I knew had to be addressed, but it was only through those connections that I made it at system 76 and before then, you know, Mycroft that, that I was able to call on these people who I can, who I consider plugged into the open source and, world and in the, in the tech you know, world. It's such an important point you bring up because I see this time and time again, even in videos that I'm doing today where people come back and say, wow, that looks really neat. Is it still being developed? And then when I'm like, what are they talking about? I go to the website and see there's no updates or there's no community mm-hmm. outreach or information coming out. And I think it's an adjustment period because in the last two years I've been within Linux, Linux has blown up in just those two years. Like I I went from it kind of felt like a niche product to wow, there is a gigantic community around this this product and it's a community, it's a love of the OS, all these things. But I don't know that everyone has adjusted from the amount of kind of spotlight and outreach that Linux has now to the fact that you've got to do more of that communication to talk about what's going on with your product to make it look fresh. Otherwise, people might assume it's gone away, right? Yeah, so that's very interesting. Yeah, especially because you see a lot of uh, a lot of other projects filling the Thunderbird space, or at least when I first came on, I felt like there were a lot of other projects that were being adopted, even though they didn't have the maturity or the f- same feature set of Thunderbird. They were being adopted in part because they thought these projects were alive and growing, and they thought Thunderbird was dead or dying, and yeah. and it's and so that. So just addressing that has been a big, big part of what I've been doing is just addressing that perception. And, and I think we've come a long way. We've seen, we've seen various indicators that, you know, with more contributors knocking on the door and saying, how can I help? You know, more people coming in and saying, I don't really know what, what I can do, but let, let me see what I can do. And, uh, and then finally, we have more users. We have uh, our beta has seen record numbers each month being downloaded more and more and more. Congratulations that. on that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So people are curious again. They're, they're wanting to look at the beta because they want to know what's happening with Thunderbird and where, where it's going. So, yeah. So we've, so I think that, that that has been hopefully is being addressed and we're, and hopefully that trend continues. But, but yeah, there's, it's important to let your users and let your contributors know that you're, that you're still open for business. And uh, hopefully we can reclaim some of those users who have, who have left us for less mature product projects just because of that perception. Nice. So you were at uh, System76. You still have people there that you talk to. Do you get to play with the lasers they have in their factory? Best question on? ever. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got to play with the lasers in their factory, but I've been, I've been traveling quite a bit. I've been visiting family and, and, uh, I, cause I work remotely now. And so 
So I'm not tied to one physical location most of the time. And, but, so I haven't been back to Denver is what I'm trying to tell you. I haven't been back to Denver very much. And so I, <laughs> I need to go back to Denver and, and force somebody to take me through there. Yeah. If you could get us some secret video of those lasers, we keep telling them we want to get in there and play with the lasers ourselves. Well, Doesn't mean, I'll you put, know. Maybe I'll put a secret camera somewhere in my body. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, they don't but, want to let us in and play with them. I don't know why. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it's really we're laser focused. In fact, so it's yeah. <laughs> it'd probably give it away if yeah. you have us on camera because you'll hear us geek squealing in the background when we see the laser shooting stuff. So you know, mm-hmm. for, for sure. But yeah, the I never got to play with the um, the lasers, and that is unfortunate because the lasers came after I left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, but, wow. but I did see a lot of things that I'm still probably not supposed to talk about. And so, so let's talk about them. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like I, I don't think I'm a- actually under, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm under. I'd have to look and see, but, but I, I will say that um, this is, none of this is new. All of this is driving toward a strategy that they developed and that they, and it's been around for a while. They've been going towards this goal of making their own, mm-hmm. making everything in house. And, and that will allow them to really, create some unique products that address specific um, re- the specific requests, you know, from their customers, from their, from the Linux community. And, uh, and there were a lot of exciting ideas when I was there and they've had a lot, they've had quite a lot more time to ideate since I left. So I'm eager to see what, what they come up with. You're Absolutely. somebody that they're using pop OS today. Yep. You know, that was, that was the, that would, that happened while I was there. And that was a long conversation and a lot of draw, putting things up on the board and saying, you know, what what is missing from the current Linux distributions out there? And do we think that X, Y, or Z is going to implement these? And, uh, you know, after multiple conversations with different projects, we found out that maybe there were some things that that should be done, you know, by system 76 to add value and and uh that's what they did that's what they pursued and so uh you know there are still things that i think were on the board that haven't been implemented yet and so yeah but i think it's i think it's great dude i mean like i had the opportunity to like recently i did something to my hard drive and we won't go into that but i had (laughs) the opportunity to either install regular ubuntu or pop os and i chose to install pop os because I do think that they've done some unique things to it. And I think it's awesome. That art too, that art. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you mentioned that you've, um, you've got a beta out that more and more people are downloading every day. Um, so I think, I think the latest release is 52.8 and that was in April last year. When, when can we get excited and get a new Thunderbird release out? When's it due? It is due. Um, this week. Wow. Oh, nice. yeah. We didn't, even, we didn't even time that that way. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it's, it, I don't know if it's tomorrow or the next day, but I think it's the, but I think uh, it's, it's got, it's, they said early this week. So uh, I think they're just making sure everything's solid and, and we should see it here in the next couple of days. Nice. So what are some of the features that people can look forward to when this new version comes out? Because, 
you know, we're, we're monitoring, we have, we're live streaming, we have chat going on. And I don't know if you've noticed, but people love Thunderbird. I can tell it in the chat. Uh, you know, people saying it's rocking their world. They love it. It's their go-to. So very, very good. People are loving it. What are some features all these people, given all this love, can look forward to seeing? Sure. So I think the first thing is that they're going to notice is that the look of Thunderbird is different. It's this is still an iterative thing, but it has the quantum-y, you know, photon. Photon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we're talking, you know, square tabs and uh, and a few other visual changes that put it more in line with what you've seen with, with um, Firefox. But a lot of people don't know this, but Firefox and Thunderbird share a code base. And so uh, a lot of these things, you know, that get rolled into Firefox, we, we get. So... So that means, you know, some of those, hopefully some of those perform, people might notice some performance improvements, at least when it comes to Very cool. parts of the UI and, and if they load any HTML content. Uh, the, there are a lot of little things is what I'll say. There's a lot of little things I have. I have some, uh, I have the release notes up, but there are various improvements to the calendar. There's, um, various improvements to uh, templating. So creating template e- email templates. And then of course there's the composer and creating messages. Uh, chat has improved that we, that's because we had um, a, another project that came in and joined Thunderbird and uh, they, they are incorporating their awesome. yeah. chat expertise into Thunderbird. And nice. so I'm trying to think of like what my, my, va- the, the thing that I noticed most was the improvements to the, or the changes. Some people get really mad if I call them improvements. Yeah. The change <laughs> to the look and feel of Thunderbird. I just feel like it's, it feels more modern. And, yeah. Uh, and I feel like that is, is good for the project. And I feel like that is a really positive move. I think in, in an odd way, you changing the theming of Thunderbird might reinvigorate the fact that people think it's being actively developed. Because when you just change everyday working sections in the background, people don't really notice them. They just take them for granted. Mm-hmm. They, don't, yeah. they don't see the vast amount of work. But you know, a nice big brand new, here's the new look, and people go, wow, this is being worked on. Crazy, but that's just the way the human brain works. I agree. There are a lot of little things that mean a lot to certain subsets of people, uh-huh. you know, because I'll be talking to someone about the new release and they'll say, I can't believe this change. This is so great. This makes my workflow so much better. And, and it's something that I've never, I didn't even realize was a part of Thunderbird, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's really good. It's going, it's going in a positive direction. And I think that, that uh, even throughout the point releases of 60, which is the next release that will continue to see a lot of really great improvements. Well, awesome. does the latest, um, well, the latest iterations of Firefox has quantum and that was obviously some improvements to the speed and everything. So is that going to be in Thunderbird and help boost Thunderbird or? Yeah, there, so there are various, there are various improvements to the performance that come in. They came in in 60, but I think that, I think that we still have work to do in that area because the 
because there are a lot. Mail is just one of these things where performance is really important. And when you have a small inbox, you know, you, you might not really notice all that much issues. But when you have some of our users have magnificently large I don't know inbox. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, with tons and tons of... He was looking right at you, Rocco. Yeah. Like they know from the entire development crew about Rocco's mailbox size. Yep. But there's just like, there's there are some people who are like, I've got gigs and gigs of email in my archives and, you know, and various folders. And there, and so we really are hoping to address, continue to address performance and make the experience one that doesn't leave you waiting and sighing at any point. And I think, I think we're driving towards that. I think we have a ways to go, but I think, I think this is the beginning of, of that process of really, and there are lots of plumbing. There's lots of plumbing that probably needs to happen. And we've hired on two developers to address things, low level, you know, longstanding Thunderbird, uh, uh, design choices in order to mm. improve performance. Did I mention that my Thunderbird folder is 27 gigabytes? <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. I was about to say I had a, I thought I had a lot, but no, no, yeah. no. You, you, you guys are going to have to start working on a petabyte infrastructure. But I want to say with that, I want to say with that, Thunderbird is the only mail client out there that can handle that. Yeah. Hands down. What was what's really cool about having you on the show is we're all Thunderbird fans. That's what we use. Um, and it it just it's we've tried other ones. You know, we try everything because we have news articles and things that pop up on the show. And there's some great features in other mail clients as well. But Thunderbird is the go-to. It's the one we rely on for the show to get to the emails, to get to the listeners, to discuss with them because it just works, right? It's just a very stable platform you can trust and. Within that, you know, you guys have a huge community base. 26 million is what an amazing accomplishment already for Thunderbird. But are there any plans? You know, you talked about some of the stuff you guys are doing. How are you going to reinvigorate that base of 26 million? Are there any plans to grow that even further? I think that I think part of it is Thunderbird should be looked at as a platform. And uh, I don't think that. I think Thunderbird loses if we try to do everything ourselves and implement every feature ourselves. However, I think if we can empower our people creating extensions, creating add-ons, creating themes, et cetera, et cetera, that we can really continue to differentiate ourselves from the other projects that are out there and also really create something that serves all these a variety of users' needs, which is what I'm finding to be one of the most consistent themes in talking to our users, is that some people are using Thunderbird in really interesting or weird ways. <laughs> and but that's but that is that is why they're using Thunderbird. Yeah. It's because they have a specific workflow and certain extensions or certain tools in Thunderbird allow them to do to be more effective at what they're trying to accomplish and be more productive. And so I think, I think we have to really focus on Thunderbird as a platform and what will make it continue to make it the best platform for communication and yeah. specifically email. But, you know, there are a lot of people using it for IRC. There are a lot of people using it for 
for other chat. There's some people using it for news. So yep. RSS feeds or news groups. And I know so, someone who's just, who just uses for IRC and RSS. Yeah. And so we have to, we really have to focus on, on ensuring that as a platform, it remains strong. People can continue to tr- contribute and improve Thunderbird for everyone and all use cases. Thanks. And that makes it very robust. It makes it very big. It makes it sometimes maybe seem a little bloated, but you know, the conversely, you could have, I mean, we're not going to do, we shouldn't do the Apple thing, you know, which is strip it down to the, you know, lowest common denominator, because that's just, I just don't think that's, that's what our users want. Well, that's what got you into right. Linux originally. We were talking about earlier was your ability to tweak and change things. And you just talk, you know, same thing with Thunderbird, you know, the ability to tweak and change things and do unique things with it. That's what makes it cool. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. And you I guys think are- I think that's how it would get lost in the shuffle of all the other email clients. If you do strip mm-hmm. it down, then there there is nothing to differentiate it from anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and fortunately, I have the uh, I have users in the community re uh, iterating that to me every day. <laughs> so, so, Linux people are opinionated. I've never heard of this. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have you have some really fantastic and interesting use cases. For Thunderbird, and I think that I think that's just that's just awesome. You know, I there's there are people who who have very very interesting jobs where I know of one guy who has like some ungodly amount of like email templates, <laughs> and it's just like when he's when he's communicating with people, he's just like push push push. You know, that's out. Push push push. That's out. <laughs> and you know, these are really complicated emails, but he has like all the syntax rights so that it fills in the name and all this different information and all these different fields. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine, you know, he, he, he's told me before, he can't imagine life without, without Thunderbird, like yep. it would just completely screw everything up for him. So he, so he's very invested in Thunderbird as a platform. And I think that's good. I think that's great. Yeah, so we'll just uh, switching little uh, bases a little bit. There's there's things that Thunderbird doesn't have right now, such as like a webmail client. And there's been a lot of uh, movement for for some people, especially in the people who like the stripped down uh, aspects of like Gmail and Apple and stuff like that. Is there any kind of plans for Thunderbird to do a webmail compare like compatible type of thing? So you could use Thunderbird on your desktop client, but also maybe do like a, a self-hosted webmail client as well, something like that. Yeah, there, it's, there's been discussion on and off about that. Uh, I, it's, it's hard to say because I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening throughout the course of this year. You know, so between this release and the next release, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't see that happening. However, I could see it happening. There is a there is a path that the community goes down that, that makes that possible. Very I think, interesting. I think right now uh, there, there continues to be conversations about it, but I think right now some of the, what I, from what I would guess, and this is just me speculating on what I read, because, you know, as community manager, I certainly don't go up on a hill and like dictate where the community goes. Like that's right. not how that, that works. So so I'm, I'm just a participant, you know, in, in the conversation around where it's going and what we're doing. And, uh, 
Yeah, remember that's not how it works, Rocco. Yeah, yeah. sure. You can't be a dictator, Rocco. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't be. Yeah, and so the so it's so in the conversations, it's there have been conversations around like, is it possible to uh, make Thunderbird into some kind of you know application that runs in a browser or that you know or possibly everyone's going to hate me for saying this, but, you know, like an Electron app or some kind of, you know, JavaScript mod, one of these mod, these like modern uh, HTML JavaScript apps that runs everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think right now the focus is addressing problems with the Thunderbird code base, addressing longstanding bugs, addressing long-standing feature requests, addressing, you know, performance issues and driving towards a, a Thunderbird that is stable and a good platform to, to have as a base. Yeah. The, then there's a question of, because we're based off of Firefox, you know, Firefox has a, Firefox has a mobile application. Is that a possibility? Um, there, are, there are a lot of questions around what's what's possible you know going forward just say yes just say yes (laughs) (laughs) well you know and this is something maybe your community can help us decide because we because right now the a mobile client is a lot of work it seems like a lot of work and uh and i've talked about different initiatives that we could try uh you know it probably take a few full-time developers just to build the groundwork there and so I've talked about, you know, do we, should we do a, a campaign, a, a crowdfunding campaign or a donations campaign with the, with the, the goal being we can hire developers to just focus on creating a mobile version of Thunderbird. You know, is that something that would entice the community? Is that something that interests the community? Uh, there's, there are a lot of questions around what's the best way to use our resources available. And mm-hmm. so maybe the community can, can ping us on, on Twitter and Facebook or, or email me and, and let me know what they, what they think about that. If they well, do hold like on to, to your inbox, cause you're going to, yeah, that's definitely going to be a good thing a, is a Thunderbird can handle it, but you're going to get a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. It was interesting having a conversation about that um, sort of like self-hosting mail and maybe setting up your own servers because I noticed that when you first install um, Thunderbird, it gives you the option to create um, an email account. I think it's with Gandhi and um, Hover. So, I mean, surely they would be impacted upon you you choosing a cloud-based option. But my question relates to what's your relationship with Gandhi at the moment? Um, and, and how does that work in, in setting one up? I mean, I've always had my own email address, so I've never explored that avenue. So what does, what does that offer you that's, that, that, that's good for the Thunderbird user? Sure. The, well, Gandhi, our relationship to Gandhi is that they offer an uh, email account. Uh, it's, it's paid. You can have your own domain tied to it, you know, like, you, like it sounds like you have. Um, and it just having it in there is an option for somebody who doesn't already have an existing account to go and sign up and set up their own, you know, email domain. Um, we, they give us a certain cut of, you know, anyone who signs up there. And so that's helpful to us. It helps us pay for obviously mm. all the things we 
laid out before. Um, we've talked about about you know are there any other providers who who are appealing to who would be appealing to our user base to have in there? And so so we've debated a few of those. You know, there are quite a few privacy focused providers now. You know, would those be would those be interesting to have in there? Yeah. And so we're yet we're looking into that. Um, but that's what we get out of that relationship with Gandhi is is our users are able to create custom email domains mm-hmm. and in return we're able to get any if the user spends a certain amount, we're able to get a certain percentage and we're able to use that for all the things I outlined before. And uh that's really helpful. And um I'd love to see more providers in there. So mm-hmm. if there's anyone here who runs a, an email service, you know, watching who would Who'd love to be listed there? I'd love, I'd love to have that conversation. Uh, and I think we're kind of figuring that out too, because that's a that happened during the Mozilla Corporation days, mm-hmm. and fortunately that deal has remained in place. But we're trying to see what feels right now that it's governed by you know the community and what what feels fair and what feels and what actually helps us. Mm-hmm. So, and what partners would be interested in working with? You know, there are some people who who I don't think that are necessarily good partners for, for us. And there are some people who I think are. And so um, what, where do we draw that line and who, who makes a good partner? That's a, these are good questions and probably questions that, that, uh, that, you know, the community should be interested in, mm-hmm. in giving back on. For instance, is Gmail a good partner? You know, do, do you feel like they fulfill the certain requirements yeah, I see some shaking heads. <laughs> that's the question, right? You know, it's yeah. like, do we want to do we want to encourage someone to create an account with with a Gmail or someone else who's maybe you know Proton Mail, maybe something like that? Yeah. Yeah, and so these are all great questions, and I think we'll, I think, I think we'll see some some movement in that area, you know, in the near future. But but uh, all all the way, we need to. We would love to have feedback on who who people think would be good partners. Well, that's what I like is you know you've talked about this throughout. You want to know what the community feels like, weigh in on it. So if you love Thunderbird, and clearly a lot of people do on the Twitch and YouTube, mm-hmm. be part of that discussion and help you know guide that to where you want it to be because clearly that's something you guys look at before you're making a decision, which is awesome. Well, the Gmail option, I think, should be in there just as a feature for users, but I don't think it would help you guys much out as far as like getting a cut of that because I don't think Google's willing to share. <laughs> but, willing yeah. to take, but not share. Yeah, they want you to share. <laughs> I think, too, that there's a question about what our role is as the, the, one of the most prominent open source email projects Probably the most prominent. I, I think that's possible. I would say you know, the most. Probably, yeah. To shape conversations around email providers, what is our role? What is our moral obligation? You know, because unlike these other folks, we're not driven by pr- profit. You know, so what is our role? To, how should we be talking about this? And I think it's a good question because my. My instinct is to say, when you're communicating, your communications between you and another person should be private and secure. And I think our users probably feel the same way. Um, 
but I, I feel scared speaking for them. Maybe most of them don't, don't care, Mm -hmm. but I feel like maybe it's our obligation to say, to say, you know, here are providers who respect your privacy. You know, when you talk about creating an account and your security, and this is why we recommend them because they're interested in your privacy and your security. Yep. So, what you know, you talk about uh, you know the Thunderbird Corporation where it used to be, and you know obviously Mozilla is in the news nowadays with a lot of things. Some some people are on Mozilla's side, some people are not. So, what is the current relationship between Mozilla and Thunderbird? The Mozilla Foundation and in the Mozilla Corporation do offer some really fantastic things to us. So, a lot of the some of our infrastructure is hosted on Mozilla servers. And that's really, really helpful. When, they, when they're willing to keep that stuff up for us, that's really amazing. Right. We're transferring some of this over, but, uh, but like, uh, it's, there's still a lot of support that they're able to give us, the Mozilla Corporation. The Mozilla Foundation is our, is our legal and financial home. So they, So even though... We we solicit the donations, you know that has to go somewhere. <laughs> Someone yeah. has there has to be a bank account that goes into, and uh, and they and the Mozilla Foundation is that financial home for us, and they offer us legal support. And you know, I probably bug them all the time asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> and so the uh, so they they help us out in that way, and of course. Everyone in Mozilla, well, most people in Mozilla have been very open to supporting us if asked directly. You know, if we say, you work on this part of the Firefox stack or you play this role, we really could use your advice, support, et cetera. You know, a lot of folks are really open to, to helping us, even though they don't have any real obligation to do so. And that's that's really great. And that also speaks to open source because we hack on the same code base that Firefox does. So if we're around, you know, we're, we're another set of eyes all the time watching that code base and providing feedback. And so, I mean, it is in their best interest, I think, to have, to have a sister project who's, who can help them create a fantastic product. Right. So it's, it's more of a, they're, they're supportive, but they don't really control anything. That's right. Okay. Um, so this just changed change directions a little bit. Um, talking about Th- Thunderbird, and we all know that Thunderbird is, is a fantastic email client and has mm-hmm. like uh, all the all the features you could probably you could even possibly imagine, and things that you would be shocked that it's even there. Like a lot of people are surprised that there's an RSS feed reader and and, and stuff like that. Um, but what do you think that are the biggest advantages that Thunderbird has over the competitors like Geary or Evolution, for example? Well, I think the thing that struck me the most each time I use it is is just searching in Thunderbird. You can really filter down and down and down and down and down. <laughs> and as as deep down that rabbit hole that you want to go, like you can you can go there. And so oh, that's yeah. always been a favorite feature of mine. I think that the the other thing is if you really start looking at the add-ons and you can find some really specific add-ons that do things that, like there's a add-on called Thunderbird Conversations, which gives you that 
um, almost Gmail-esque view. When you open up a email thread, it has like the picture, you know, next to the email. And and uh, I don't know if you guys are have used Gmail all that much, but the but you know they have the little I, I'd call them like cards or whatever. Oh yeah. Where it's like you're in an email thread, and there's like your card, which is the email you maybe originally sent, and then it, you scroll down, and there's like the card for the reply, and et cetera, yeah, the, et cetera. It's, it's referred to in some cases like there's a plugin for conversations, is what they call it. Yeah, and that's we have a we have a long-standing add-on that that provides yeah. that same kind of experience. I think and I so, included that immediately as soon as I saw it was there. I was like, "Yep, I like this all yeah, in one." Exactly, and so there's. There are a lot of things like that. And so I think extensions is the second part of that story. Like a lot of people use Enigmail, you know, to Mm -hmm. automatically encrypt their email and decrypt incoming emails. And so uh, I think that if someone is looking at Thunderbird, you know, they install, use it for a little bit, get your your brain around how it works, and then go look at the add-ons and see if there's anything that, any feature that you like that you might think is missing in Thunderbird and see if there's an add-on that addresses that for you. And then you might, you'll probably find others that you weren't aware of that yep. do things that maybe you think, Oh, well that is nice. That's a nice little feature <laughs> to have. Yeah. So the third party extensions are available to add in different features. One of them is for PGP encryption, for instance, Everyone is talking, well, not everyone, everyone should be talking, but the geekier folks are talking about security, encryption, these type of things. Is there any plans from Thunderbird to include options like this by default, where you don't even have to get an extension, it's just encryption's kind of built into the interface? Sure, yeah. I mean, you can currently ins- you can currently do encryption without Enigmail, but Enigmail makes it so that whenever an email comes in, that's encrypted, you you don't have to manage, you know, your keys. Your keys, they're installed, they're ready to go. It decrypts or encrypts whatever the case may be when you're, mm-hmm. you know, what you're receiving. So, but I think that the answer to the question is yes. We've had long conversations around incorporating Enigmail into core Thunderbird. And, and I think that that would probably be a good step for Thunderbird because I I think that with the different things that we now know governments are doing in order to you know monitor communications, I think it's a natural step to include Love things it. that enable encryption Absolutely. by default in Thunderbird, or at least make it easy to do so. And so uh, I think that will eventually happen. I don't know what the timeline looks like like for that but conversations are happening and have happened and are continuing to happen and so i think that uh i think we'll see see that become more and more of a focus and i know that in the community i've advocated for that and i know a lot of other people have too and which is making privacy and encryption easier by default in thunderbird i think that's a conversation that we're going to continue to have and I don't see that going away because I think we're just going to continue to learn more and more about how companies and governments are monitoring our communications. Yep. Yeah. It seems like every Definitely. day there's a new article about it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I think it's very good. And also I think about we're very Western world centric sometimes when we talk about this. It's true. But there are parts of the world where 
where there's a, a lot normal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot more at stake. You know, yep. you really don't want to be a Chinese dissident. You really don't want to be a Russian dissident, you know. Mm. And then there are places like, you know, North Korea where like they face a lot of even more substantial challenges. Sure. Yep. And so there it it might be a matter of like life and death whether or not you're communications are encrypted Mm. and so i think that i think we as the open source community should be seeing how we can create better privacy tools because over here it's good for restricting people from seeing our communications but and and that can be life or death but over there these tools may be like yeah incredibly important and i and I think that, uh, especially for like reporters and stuff like that in the areas as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially even, yeah, even Western reporters visiting these countries, yeah, you yep. know, they're trying to get information out. And so I think, and this is something that, that I hadn't thought about so much when I first came onto Thunderbird, but then when I learned that multiple journalists were using Thunderbird and sending encrypted email on Thunderbird, especially around e-fail, you know, like, mm-hmm. People were emailing me. They they wanted minute by minute, you know, updates on the state of encrypted communication in Thunderbird. Which is which I'm I'm not laughing at them wanting that. That is it's incredibly important. It and I think that that was kind of an eye opener for me that that we really have to be on top of this because it's very 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 important to many of our users and and it could be very dangerous to them if if what they're sending isn't isn't private isn't secure right well that's a very heavy subject and i hate to go back to a lighter subject <laughs> right away but uh it's something that i was looking for you to clarify i've always said in the past that thunderbird is the most you know stable email client out there but it definitely needs a facelift to make it modern. And we talked about, you had talked about changes in the upcoming release. Now, if you can clarify, does that include like the projects, like the monorail theme? Um, is that going to be incorporated into Thunderbird or any features of that going in? So I know elements were incorporated into Thunderbird. And um, I thought that a while back, I, I was under the impression that monorail itself would be the default theme in Thunderbird, but I think I think that got backed away from because I know that's not the case with the beta. And so, uh, and but I do think a lot of elements of that have been incorporated, and we've seen a lot of icons be updated and in in the application as well as you know very various like I said small small visual changes that have made it better to use. However, uh, going forward we still have conversations with the monorail team uh, around, you know, how that might be improved. We've had lots of designers come in and offer up ideas and we've even had a usability study. It was mostly focused on uh, privacy and security tools and setting them up in um, Thunderbird, but all that uh, influences, you know, how, how we address the, the UX and UI to, show people like to guide people to where they're trying to go more easily. Mm -hmm. And 
and just make it more beautiful. I think that there's there's something to be said about, especially with email. You, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm working, my email is constantly open. Yep. And you know, throughout the day, I'm responding to email. And so, if it's beautiful, if it's a nice environment to be in, it makes that even less painful because right. email can be painful. Yes, it can. And, so, and you're singing to Rocco's heart because he's all about theming and everything to him is about theming. Yeah, but one of my biggest things with Thunderbird is the, I guess, the inability to change the subject line size to make it a double line so that you have, so you can see the, uh, the mail, the mail uh, recipient, the to and from, and the subject itself in a double line. And I have not been able to figure out how to do that. So. These are things you, that I need. So, <laughs> so things are so working a very specific workflows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you look at any of the modern clients out there, the modern looking clients, most of them have a very tall subject line. Uh, you know, like it's a double line, uh, whether it be on other platforms like Windows or whether it be MailSpring you. or... So, so I, I'm curious, you know, uh, you're, you're talking about uh, this this thing that the specific feature that you're, you're interested in or enhancement, uh, it, do you know, is there a bug op- open Rocco? Is there, is there anyone I can ping to look at your, wow. Bug? Get your, <laughs> bug did report? you report a bug? Rocco? No, I didn't. Yeah, report Rocco, a bug. Did you? I did go searching through the, um, through the Mozilla. What is it? The Mozilla, whatever. Bugzilla. Bugzilla, whatever you call mm-hmm. it. And I did go searching through that. And there are there were instances where people said, do this or put this in your uh, CSS and it'll fix it. But most of the time, and I don't know if it's because the code base changes, but it doesn't always honor that or it'll honor that for a while. And then with the next release, it would stop working. Right. So. So. OK, so, so just this is a this is a fun thing here. So. So what 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 do you want to happen, Rocco? He's gonna open a bug report. For that, good, oh. good. I love it. All right, bug so report open. you have the. I've already got it. It's it's. Can I share my screen? Does that work? <laughs> that that would that would uh, mess up the recording now. Oh, okay. but, keep, but, keep, but keep going. Oh, got, Let's get this bug report this. open for Rocco. So if you look okay. at the mail client, you have your. Oh wait, account. wait. Let me just make sure I've got all this right. It's in the message compose window. No, no, it's, it's in, in the receive. If you're looking at oh. main Thunderbird and you are seeing your accounts on the left, I have a vertical view. So I have the mail recipients and the subject on, in the middle and then the view of the display of the email on the right. So okay. that middle view where you see the subject lines of all your emails is, is probably, well, I don't want to say like three or four pixels high when oh, okay. other mail clients have it larger, like maybe eight or 10 pixels high. So you can see more information. And I think- yeah. So, so yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and and they are. It is really, it is really. It can be really small. The I know that I think the monorail theme has a has it larger. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Okay, so so let me pull. Let me change this. Thing. Not not in the live bug up. reporting. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I've got told to RTFM from developers, but I never had one open a bug report for me, Rocco. You win that award, wow. my friend. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. So this is mail window front end, and it says the component is problems with mail window, standalone message window, sidebar content, toolbar dialogues, etc. 
user interface and functionality problems within three pane mail window and standalone message window. Okay, I think that's right. I think we're in the right one. What version are you using? Um, I don't know. Let me open it up and find out. Well, we'll just put unspecified. <laughs> it should be the latest version that is in 52. the Ubuntu base. Yeah, 52. Okay. So this is interesting because I would call this more of a feature request than a bug. So I've got listed as a, it, under severity, I've got it listed as an enhancement. Ah, right. Okay. Nice. But that's a good point, Zeb. A lot of people would not have thought to report it because it's just maybe something a part of their workflow or whatnot. But I think what Ryan's doing is not only demonstrating how important it is to do this stuff, but showing that you can request enhancements through the bug. Uh, and and too, teaching Rocco how to do bug reports. Wow. <laughs> Live bug reporting. <laughs> only only on Destination I'm, Linux. <laughs> I'm making this summary. Mail subject line too small. Want ability to easily change size. Yep. Pretty much. Fair? Yeah. Works for me. Okay. All right. Let's let's put a description in here, Rocco. Uh, so so try to describe it for me again. But let's let's try to do maybe. I think the subject mostly has has what we want here, but uh, the subject line height should be adjustable so that if people want it small like it is by default, that's fine. But it should be adjustable for people who want to make it larger to see more information. It's almost like a double line. So you the top half of it, you can see the subject uh, and the bottom half, you can see the recipients. So it's not all squished. And you can't do it just by raising the font either because you can raise the font, but the line doesn't actually grow. So I'm only doing this because uh, I um, have been receiving quite a lot of enhancements, but I receive them in my inbox. And, uh, and I've tried to put as many of those in the bug tracker as possible, but the problem is is that the people who are passionate about it, you know, really should be CC'd or, or be the main people on those bugs. And I do CC them, but you know, that, that way they can answer the questions about right. the specifics and that's what, and that's where you're getting CC'd in this bug. So in a future release, when people have a, you know, changeable subject line, potentially, potentially you can thank Rocco every time it's you see the that. Rocco effect. <laughs> yeah, it's the Rocco effect. In fact, in the feature release, can you put Rocco's name in there? That would be fantastic. Wow. <laughs> Here, um, we'll, we'll put a note. Note. <laughs> I mean, I ended up in Mate's release notes. Rocco can end up in Thunderbird's release notes. Bug <laughs> <laughs> report was created during the live broadcast of destination linux that's a way to get our name out there <laughs> yep rested by rocco nice here is the link to the video love it so while we're finishing up the bug report rocco you want to get into the next section we wanted to talk about because we wanted to get into some mycroft talk here all right sure so yeah, are you you know you you said you co-founded Mycroft. Um, are you still involved in Mycroft, and how's the project going? So I'm not actively involved in Mycroft, um, and I 
and I don't own any stake in the company anymore. But I, but I, but I still believe in the initial goals of the project, and I still have friends who contribute to the project. So, uh, and I did go not too long ago and help them with their second Kickstarter. Um, you know, I like I said, I feel like that's important because the goals of the project, which is a virtual assistant that is open source and not selling your data, I think is an important goal. Um, the question to me is, is whether or not, you know, whether or not Mycroft will fulfill that goal. I don't know. That's, but that's, you know, that, that is something that weighs on me is, is, is my, is my baby, you know, going to ultimately achieve its, its set goal. Well, well, let's step back there for a second for our listeners. What is Mycroft if they haven't heard of it? Your, your baby you're talking about here. What does, what does it represent? What can it do? So Mycroft is an open source personal uh, assistant like uh, Amazon, uh, well, Alexa, or, you know, the Amazon Echo or, um, or Google Assistant or Siri. Um, the, the goal originally was to create, you know, an alternative to Siri and, and Google Assistant. Back then, Alexa was, when we first started it, Alexa was in the Amazon Echo where we're not really out yet. Like we knew they were coming out, but they weren't really out. And then, you know, they came in there. They're very good tools, but they're, but each of these tools, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy, you know, and essentially you're bugging your house is how I feel about it. And, and if you can't audit the code on that device, I feel like you, once you put them in, you have no, you have no grounds to, well, yeah, the to, only option to, you have is to unplug it. Well, to talk yeah. about that just a little bit, I brought one of these into my home through the Amazon Media Player device. So to watch content, uh, I forget oh, what yeah, they call yeah. it exactly. The Fire TV. But it has the Fire TV and it has Siri mm-hmm. built into it. Then I saw all this stuff coming out in the news where you could go and look up what it was recording. Well, I mm-hmm. figured it would be the times where I said, hey, look up, you know, this movie. But there were moments where it was popping on intermittently of recordings throughout the day of yeah. various discussions happening where I guess it thought it heard Alexa or something going on there. And it was very, um, there was not, it was just kind of shocking it, that it, that stuff was there and that it kept interpreting hearing itself, even though in the conversation you can't hear it all, it's just little clips it must have heard something to trigger or at least you hope it did and wasn't just randomly popping on. It it is something that still creates without putting on a tinfoil hat, a lot of discomfort to have those type of devices in the home. Sure. I think that my, my idea for Mycroft or another project that hopes to accomplish the same thing is if I, if I were creating it again today. And I even proposed this when we started it is I would do a Kickstarter around the actual server component, have a pre-made box that you can plug in in your house with the software installed, the backend software that the, all of the, those queries and everything go and are processed by that box in your home. 
And yeah, if they have to reach out and get like the weather data from somewhere else or like, you know, whatever third party data they have to, at least the hub that hears the information that you're saying is in your home. It's you, it's open source, it's manageable. You can go in there, you can manage the updates, you can change it if you want to. But I feel like that is the important thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just important to individuals, you know, also enterprises. I feel like a lot of enterprises probably would like to incorporate some of this voice command and control, oh, yeah. but they don't want their IP floating out of the organization or any other secrets or, you know, or even just, I don't, the reason, yeah, the thing is with Alexa and Google Assistant is I don't want, I don't want my conversations going out. You know, I really, really don't. Like I just, I know how easily these things pick up on the wrong stuff and mm -hmm. I just don't want that out there. Like, you know, it'd be like, I just feel like that's just not, not good. And also because we can't audit the code, I'm very worried about someone being able to turn these things on remotely yeah, right. and listen mm -hmm. on what you're saying. Yeah. And we, and like we talked about earlier, we already live in a world where I think that, that governments are, and, and corporations already abuse our privacy and to have the ability to, to turn this stuff on and listen to everything that goes on your home is really scary. It's why, it's why I, I really, really want a webcam in my home, but I'm not going to set up one of the like cloud-based ones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because well, I don't, I don't want that. I can leave my home, but if I set that up, it's going to my own server. It's not going to, you know, right. But right. the problem, the problem you face is that they roll in really enticing features into these things. So they, yeah, because they, because of the scale of data that they have, they can roll in some really nice features which is enticing. I use Google Photos. I really don't want to be using Google Photos, but there are a lot of really enticing features because I'll take a picture. In fact, this happened the other day. This is some insight into to me, but <laughs> for some reason, I can't stop myself from changing cars every two years. It's not, it's not like... Got the um, same problem. <laughs> it's not cheap, you know? You know. And I don't know why I do it, but like, I'll just be looking... <laughs> I'll just be driving past the one of the places where they're selling cars, and I'm just like, man, that. I want to give them money today. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't do it that impulsively, but yeah, but it's just like it's just like it. It I I think that I'm always going to have a car payment, and even whether or not I really want to always have a car payment, it's just like I've already budgeted for it, so I might as well be driving the car that I want. But anyway, I I someone was talking to me about my cars, and they're like. Yeah, you know, like I really liked that one car that you drove and they named it. It was a red, red Mazda. And I was like, and I started talking to them about it. And I was like, yeah, and it did this, that, and the other. And they're like, no, 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 not that, not that one, the other one. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what car you're talking about. I didn't drive another red Mazda. And so he's like, yeah, you did. And I, and I looked in Google Photos and I typed in red Mazda. And then I saw this car and I was like, of course. Yeah, I did drive that, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like the features like that, that, that I type that I can type in things specifically and have it because of its machine learning that it's done, you know, bring up exactly what I'm looking yeah, for. It sees the or, icon on the car and it says the exactly. color and it does like it. Yeah. And yeah. so I, the point is, is that I think that 
one challenge that open source software is going to have in competing with these is how do you how do you compete with that you know like mm-hmm. it it takes a lot because we don't mm-hmm. have the privacy focused solutions don't have the same s- scale of data that you know a google or an amazon or you know a, a microsoft have to incorporate these kind of features mm-hmm. so i could set up my webcam but you know i imagine that when it comes to specific things like being able to recognize a certain person in my house or whatever, which might be interesting, but I may not be able to have that. So I think that, I think Mycroft face some, faces some of the same challenges when it goes up against these guys, which Absolutely. is why it has to double down on, on the privacy, you know, and well, say like, this is the focus. Well, that was going to be my, my next question. Uh, uh, apart from privacy and the anti-listening and the fact that you're open source and people can um, see what it is that Microsoft is doing, what are some of the advantages that you think are there above your commercial counterparts? I think that, I think that one of the things with, with Microsoft would be the ability to incorporate these one-offs things that only you do mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and having the ability to change the source code itself is something that yes it's niche maybe that's all it's ever going to be but but that's an important thing because if you're deploying an Alexa in any device like now you can do it on a they have that program where you can you can take Alexa and you can incorporate it into your own third-party device. But the problem is always going to be that if there's some use case that that innately Alexa doesn't support, you aren't going to be able to, to address that with their stack. Whereas with Mycroft, you, you could address that. You could change fundamentally how Mycroft uh, works. For instance, uh, you can pare down Mycroft into simply listening and recording everything in a room and transcribing it. Wow. You know, and that, that is one thing that you could do. And it transcribes it locally. <laughs> yeah. And you, right? you could, well, I mean, not, not necessarily. Stores have, it locally. Yeah. You could store it locally. You could have it write out, you know, cat out to <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, a file and, and uh, that is something you could do. And this empowers people to try things that aren't part of what Mycroft's focus is. And I think that's where the power comes from, is, is being able to do something completely unique that, that the creators haven't foreseen someone doing. So they're doing, they're, they're, Mycroft is open to open source community contributing code and things like that to it? Yeah, it's got mm-hmm. it. It's got all that stuff up on GitHub. Yeah, they they call them skills, right? Where you can make your own custom. Uh, That's right. Modifications and stuff like that. Awesome. And uh, I've actually worked on a couple things with some, like contributing some uh, aspects to it, like uh, trying to get some Cody stuff working. Yep. And um, so the, the the because of open source and you know because of the 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 main focus of the show is destination Linux, so. One of the things that we have to ask you, what is your go-to distro and desktop environment? 
<laughs> sure. Sure. I, this is a complicated question. <laughs> okay. So why is it Kubuntu? <laughs> <laughs> Not Kubuntu. I, I, uh, I'm on, so I'm on elementary right now. Nice. But, and, and Cassidy would tell you this because he worked with me at System76. I know Dan, Daniel Foray quite well. <laughs> so, but there are specific design, and I'm not talking about like, like a UI design features or UX design features, but certain design decisions that they've made that I fundamentally disagree with. So, uh, so Pop! OS and uh, Ubuntu have been very enticing for me to return to because Cassidy and I used to argue about this all the time. He wants, he has, a, they have this vision in elementary of um, all these native applications, which they do have a lot of native applications that have been created for elementary mm-hmm. and leaving essentially like the electron apps and, you know, a lot of these third party apps out of the app center, which I think is a mega super big mistake. Because I I think that we finally are at a point where you can install a Linux distribution and you can install most of the productivity apps that you need to in order to make it through your day as like an average information worker in an office. Mm -hmm. And then to not have them in the app center renders the app center completely useless. And I'll tell you why. The moment you go to an app center and you don't find a specific app that you're looking for is the moment that you never go back to the app center again. (laughs) Because if I go for Slack and Slack isn't there, then I'm not going to go back to look for another application someone tells me about. I'm going to go to the internet. At that point, the internet is going to give me some kind of way to install this application that doesn't involve going to the app center. It's going to say, copy this PPA, you know, install via command, and I'll never end up going in there again. My biggest thing at System76 was, we are finally starting to figure out distribution. Is snaps and flat packs and app images are the right way. We just need to make sure that those things that we already have are available in the app centers on the distributions. Yeah, but I think think that's a good point, though. I mean, you can see both sides where I can see the idea of the app center where you want a a uniform, cohesive environment with apps that are really, really good. But I can also see the other side where you might want other apps that aren't available and they do detract from being being able to use that as a wide brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I think my deal is that the the app center is is where you want people to go to the trusted source to get software. Installing a PPA from some third party that frankly a lot of people are never going to look and see whether or not there have been any changes to the to the actual like packages they're getting. Like they may get Thunderbird, but the maintainer of that PPA could have put anything in there that he wants. And I think that is is bad. I think that is bad. I think you you want to be able to get your software from a trusted source. Mm-hmm. If you install a distribution, 
you're telling that you're saying I trust this source, you know, because frankly, you're installing the operating system that they put out. So, I mean, like anything that they, I mean, they have root access to your machine. Right. That is 100% the case. So, you I mean, there's an argument that says some people will say, like the maintainers would argue that they have, because they're, they've been approved and they've been, you know, uh, background checked, I guess, in the better, you know, lack of a better word is that they, they are providing that security in, of mind. So like the, the, the maintainers themselves, because in order to get into the repo, the maintainers have to be there to help the project get into the repo. So I think, I mean, in the same sense, I agree that having the official developers having more control and being quicker access to the user is a valid point and is a, a good point about security. I think that's one of the things they would say is like, the, main, the repos themselves, because they have maintainers, is also a level of security. No, but the repos, the repos do have a level of security. I'm talking about when you go and you just grab a PPA, you know, oh, yeah. PPA. like yeah, off yeah, the internet, right. that is a bad thing. Whereas, you know, if something's in the app center and that repository has a maintainer and it's right and they're active in the like, for instance, Debian community or or uh, upstream to uh, the Ubuntu community or Whatever, whatever the distro is, like you're you're getting it from what I consider to be a trusted source. Right. I, I didn't hear the PPA part. Yeah, I agree. The PPAs, you, you're 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 flipping a coin at that point. Like maybe yeah. it's maybe it's not. In the but the but the biggest thing is uh, is I do think the elementary guys have a lot of things right, which is why it's still on my machine. You know, there are there are a lot of really small. And they build up over time, you know, all these things that are small, but they're nice. And, but I think that, um, that Ubuntu and, and Pop! OS are addressing this software problem that I've had with Linux forever, which is that the user should be able to go to the, the app store, download a piece of software and get on their way. And if it's available for Linux, it should be in the app store. Snaps are important and flat packs are important because they take the onus off of having, they take a lot of the onus off of the maintainers and, you know, packaging the software for the specific distro. Whereas if you're bundling things with an app image, a flat pack or a snap, you know, the actual person who produces the software can do that. Granted, in a lot of cases, you might still be going out to the internet for that. But in some, but you know, Ubuntu is starting to make it so that those snaps can be in the app store alongside the you know things that are coming from the other repos. And, oh yeah, I'm know, a big fan of the snaps of the, the the universal formats in general. Well, what about the snaps that are now being snapped? Games that are being snapped by the work from the podcaster that shall not be named. I mean, that's the important stuff going on here. <laughs> I guess it is. You know, you guys are talking about all these programs and being developed, but gaming is where it's at, which leads us to a question because I want to get into the gaming section before we run out of time here. Ryan, are you a gamer? And if so, what games are you playing, man? I, I fancy myself a gamer. I got into computing because I wanted to create games. And, nice. uh, and I used to make a lot of RPGs. I was a big RPG guy. And, uh, and but I will say that even though I still would call myself a gamer, I'm pretty sure I don't pass the 
Like, cause <laughs> the gamer have, test. I, yeah, because I have all these games. I have more games than I've ever had in my life, and I play them so little that, like, yeah. people ask me, "Have you played this game?" It's like, well, kind of. I own it. I installed it. I opened it up for 10 minutes and then yeah. I went back and played some other game because I forgot I had it in my library. Yeah. Well, more Welcome so it's like, my world. I, more so it's like, I never feel like I have time for mm-hmm. it. You know? Well, I there's a game, game that doesn't have, doesn't take much time, maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there. And it's called ballistic overkill. <laughs> it's an you FPS shooter. Those. So uh, maybe we yeah. can get you in there sometime. <laughs> and in yeah, fact, yeah. we're looking at doing a U.S. versus U.K. competition uh, charity <laughs> stream. So, you know, we're going to go up against Wimpy and Popey here uh, for oh, that. So, yeah. Well, I'd almost have to join just to. Just to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have, I have seen them in uh, Rocket League. And uh, so I saw Popey maybe. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Rocket when we saw is, them playing, is... it gave us a lot of hope that we're going to win this. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'd love, I'd love to have more time to play. Uh, well, I was, re- I really loved Rocket League, which I didn't expect at all. It's and a fantastic then, game. It is. One of the best. And, and then uh, XCOM, you know, they, oh, yeah. they came to Linux and I played a lot of both XCOM games. Which is actually, this is the problem, because I'd never sit down for 10 minutes. <laughs> if I did, then I wouldn't be so afraid of starting the game. But the problem <laughs> is, is like, I feel like every time I start it, it's like, okay, I'm off work now. It's like 6 or 7 o'clock. I'm just going to play for like an hour, and then I'll go and do the rest of the stuff that I need to do this evening. And then Four it's like hours two, later. <laughs> it's like 2 in the morning, and it's like, how long have I been here? Why, why did I play this song? I didn't mean to do this. And uh, and it's because I believe in the I believe in the the struggle of the main character, you know. Like I can't just yeah. stop when the aliens are like bursting out of the ship. Like somebody's got to do this job. Somebody's got to send these aliens back to their home planet. And it might know? as well be me, right? Yeah. yeah, it can only be me. I mean, like let's be honest. Exactly. Well, let's, let's be the joy kill here then and bring you back to work you've had your gameplay for today <laughs> um, we've got a new version of thunderbird coming out and you've explained it's got a nice um altered uh, ui so it's going to look different for the user but going let's say four or five years ahead if you think that far where do you think thunderbird will be what features do you think people can look forward to sure i'd love to i'd love to see Thunderbird incorporate more of the privacy and security features that I talked about. I'd also love to see, this is me speaking for myself now, I'd love to see a mobile Thunderbird because I don't think there are enough open source mobile uh, email clients. Like I think there are two that I can think of off the top of my head. And I only got one. (laughs) I'm sure there are more, but I'm, I'm concerned about that because if I've done these really informal polls where I ask people what email clients are using on their phone and among even open source folks, there's a lot of them who aren't using an open source email client on their phone. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, and I'd love to see, so for me, it's productivity, privacy, and security. And I'd love to see more productivity built into Thunderbird. There are a lot of really great features that you can do. For instance, in Thunderbird, you can right-click on an email and convert it to a task, which I love. I would love to see 
more going into surfacing these features. And then, and then if we had a mobile client syncing your, your tasks and email accounts across multiple devices. So I think that that would be really great because and not maybe not even between a mobile client and, and a desktop uh, and the desktop client, but just between multiple desktop clients because I have it on my laptop and on my desktop. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that I can create a task in one and not have it over in the other is kind of problematic. And so, just a lot of little productivity uh, enhancements that I'd like to see. And uh, of course, I'd like to see a. I'd like to. Along with Rocco, I'd like to see a lot of improvements just to the to the UX of Thunderbird. There are some parts that, in my opinion, are are um, not just outdated because I think a lot of people think that that means that I want to like incorporate some brand new U, UI that you know is like changes everything and breaks everything for their workflow. Mm-hmm. I think just the menu, the double pane menu in Thunderbird. If you click the little hamburger menu, is really painful mm. because I'll be going and I and you know I, I I hover over an element that has a little arrow and another menu comes out and I go over that, but then sometimes I don't go exactly directly. It drops away and, and you got to go back. Yeah. And yeah, and that's just like I'm so glad to hear this is not just me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- technically, the ha- like there's been like some tests and focus groups and stuff that's kind of shown that the hamburger menu itself is not really a good thing. It's just it's a benefit to what it looks like, but it, it's kind of annoying just in general to use because there's mm-hmm. typically there's no shortcuts for it and there's looks pretty but not more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot of there's a, there's been a lot of people like kind of uh, making rants about that particular design decision over the past like. Uh, eight, five to seven years or so that's becoming a new fad yeah I read one of those um, I don't remember the guy's name but but I actually I do I am opinionated when it comes to my well you guys know I changed all my Linux <laughs> you know desktop <laughs> environments growing up but yeah. I, do, I don't actually like the the top you know menu bar I think it just burns pixels that I don't want it to burn and I like I, now, this is not saying that this is going to happen in Thunderbird. Thunderbird already has the dual menu, so you can have the the menu bar if you want, or you can have the hamburger menu. But it doesn't. You can have both. I think it's good to have them both as an option. For me personally, I don't want to burn those pixels. And I, and if they did the single pane that's in Firefox now for the Thunderbird menu, where you know you click on something and then that single pane changes to mm-hmm. have those options. For me, that would be that would be great, you know. And forward yeah. shortcuts are really important, though. That is something that has to always remain intact because without keyboard shortcuts, uh, an application is completely useless to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, I definitely agree about the menu, the file menu system, where I'm not a big fan of that. That does waste pixels. Um, and I do agree that the the hamburger menu should be better than it is. So. I like the idea of having a drop down arrow that is like where the hamburger menu could be. And then it just tells you when you click that button, here's how to quickly access. So you hit alt and then it shows you that menu and you get away from alt and it's gone. So you can still have all those. What are you talking about, Michael? Michael. That sounds terrible. That does sound terrible. 
It's what the same. You, it's literally the same Ryan, thing as hamburger menu. It's, it's, just, thing with it's Although, the same thing as an area hamburger menu. It just also Although, displays the menu that you want. Michael right. touches on something that that the one feature I want back from from Unity is the HUD. Yes, I mm-hmm. thought that was the direction to go, and I and I really regret that it's not around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you can technically get it in Ubuntu Mate if you want, but that's about it. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Ryan, can you file a bug for that for a feature? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's incorporate HUD in just Thunderbird. That's, that's it. Just- <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Thunderbird has obviously got a ton of users. You talked about yep. what it needs for uh, to be able to just have the downloads available. So, how can people get involved with Thunderbird? What help do you need? What are some of the ways normal people can give ideas and feedback besides report above? Sure. Well, first off, I will say that reporting a reporting a bug is is important. Shots fired, Rocco. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> and I just mean that I I well, listen. We're talking about the double pane menu. I have not fired fi- fired not fired. No, I'm not filed an enhancement request for the double pane or for the single pane menu. So I'm also guilty of this. There are some mm-hmm. things that I can com- complain about for weeks and forget to to file a bug, but It's true. Uh, the, but I did just put in the in our little chat and if somebody can push that out on like uh, YouTube or whatever where mm-hmm. they can file a Thunderbird awesome. specific bug. The yep. other thing I would say is there's at thunderbird.net, which is where the Thunderbird website lives now. This is new. It used to be at Mo's, thunderbird.mozilla.org, I think, or maybe it was yeah. mozilla.thunderbird. But there is a get involved link on there now, and I'm putting that in there. It hasn't been localized into every language yet, so this is a English page, but I put that in our little chat too. There's a bunch of ways to get there's a bunch of ways to get involved and where you can go to do that. This is a new page, so feedback is very welcome. And if you go to the bottom of the page, there's a contribute to this site link, which will take you to the GitHub page for the website, which is important because if you have feedback about any anything on the website, but specifically this get involved page, and or you see something missing, or you think that there's something that can improve it, please go to that website and file a bug, you know, say like, this could be improved in this way. I, I will personally respond to it. I'm, wow. So, and then finally, uh, you, can, you can download Thunderbird and use it. That, yeah. is, that is the, sometimes I almost forget to say it because it's like the most basic thing, but you can download Thunderbird and use it, and uh, that's important. And that's and I think that most people would enjoy it if they have email, especially if they have a lot of email. Uh, and then something I know I just said finally, but of course you can donate to Thunderbird. And if you want to see something like a mobile client or a or I don't know, if you want to see Thunderbird just continue to improve and look better and feel nicer and run more performant. Um, Everything helps, you know. We we aren't backed by Mozilla money anymore, so everything is donations. So you really, we really rely on that in order to pay our developers and pay for our infrastructure. And that's also on Thunderbird.net as well. You do, there's just a big donate button. 
Awesome. Nice. Well, Ryan, it was an awesome conversation with you. I want to mm-hmm. personally thank you for all the work that you've done in the open source community, yes. uh, whether it be from Mycroft, uh, System76, uh, Thunderbird. It's much appreciated because without guys like you, we wouldn't be where we are. Oh, thank you. I, I want to thank uh, the guys at Thunderbird as well for all of yep. the work that they put into the best email client out there right now. So, well, man, maybe we will uh, have you back on the show the next time you have a release or something and we can talk, or maybe you can join us in the Ballistic Overco gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try it. If it's on Linux, I'll try it. It's on Linux. It's actually on sale right now, too, with the summer sale. Yeah. Steam oh, summer sale. That's dangerous. Good. I haven't even opened it. Good time to get it now. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steam exactly. Summer Sale is dangerous. Yeah, and yeah. let's not forget as well. If you've got any 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 questions that you'd like Ryan to uh, uh, answer, send them through to us at comments at destinationlinux.org, and we'll try and get get them through to Ryan, or we'll try and get the answers for you. Because um, comments is 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 part of the feedback of the show that we all enjoy, and we all want to know what you think about it, how it went well, how you can do it better. Um, and if you can't do a little email and you want to just leave a little comment, drop one at the bottom of uh, the YouTube video when it comes out next Friday. Um, and you can also comment on the Destination Linux website as well under each episode. You can let us know what you think or you can post any questions. So keep that information coming in because we really do enjoy receiving it. Also, just in case you're not, you're, if you're watching on the recorded version, we do this particular interview was recorded live. And so if you like we do often, our episodes are live. Sometimes the interviews are not live. Sometimes they are. Uh, thank you very much for Ryan for willing to do, do our, yes. our the interview live. And in, so typically we have about every, every other week or so, there's a live stream for the episode. Uh, or we have fantastic inter- interview guests that are willing to do it live as well. And the, so if you're interested in checking out that, you can go to the, the destinationlinux.org and you can find links to the Twitch and the YouTube on, on that website. And also just to let you know that if you're a patron of the this of the of the, the podcast you don't have to worry about whether it's live or not because you can join us on the zoom chat every single time regardless of it being a live stream or not so be sure if you're if you are a patron be sure to check that out uh, each week plus you get the post and pre-show uh access as well appreciate all the patron support out there and we had the coolest thing happen rocco in our telegram group uh for destination we did. This is something that I've been, you know, I've played with Twitch and different things way back when, before I started Linux, before I started my YouTube channel. And I would watch this thing called like a subscriber train where you would see these up and coming Mm -hmm. kind of people doing, you know, doing their thing live on Twitch or live on YouTube or podcasters or whatnot. And they would get these trains of subscribers that would happen where everybody just starts getting super excited about the content. We've had some really cool episodes recently. This one definitely is going to be a great one with Ryan. And we had a patron train happen in Telegram where people, it was kicked off and everyone started becoming patrons, which was really awesome for us. And one of those, one of those exciting things that uh, I not I got to experience as someone who's part of the team uh, producing this content versus somebody just watching somebody else, which was just super neat. So thank you guys for that as well. Yep. It was absolutely awesome. Again, Ryan, thank you for stopping in and joining us. We appreciate it. No problem. All right. That's it for us. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Overlay is perfect, Michael. Wow. Thank you. He never says that. It is perfect. <laughs> He's in a particularly good mood today. He must have ate his Wheaties. Wow. Like, yeah. I'm never in a good mood. Just that he didn't eat Mama. He didn't eat Mama. That's, That's why I'm in a good mood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That stuff that is disgusting. Oh, yeah. I could still smell it. <laughs> All right, I, I, I tried to like just just bathe in mouthwash, and it's you no, know, it's still. I had a skunk uh, spray on me so that I would smell better than the Marmite. <laughs> interview, guys. We have an interview. Oh, oh, yeah. oh right, <laughs> right. Good act, professional. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Ryan's sir. never going to come back on this show. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick sound recording and see what everybody sounds like. I sound glorious. You're welcome. Of course. Until you go his way or he passes out. He's like a little girl, dude. (laughs) Worse. Even worse. Where's he at, anyway? I don't know. He said he might be late because it comes... Probably doing his hair. Probably. Well, then never mind. Well, now I'm super mad. (laughs) I know, Michael. Tell me what what, what is and what is not worth something. How dare you? (laughs) You don't tell me what to do. Yeah. You're you're not you're not a part of the antiques roadshow. Tell me what something's worth. Maybe I don't want to. Come on, Rocco. What is going on? You're supposed to be the one who's mature. The rest of us are supposed to be asking dumb questions. You're supposed to have it together, man. You're right. I'll try harder. Maybe it's a uh, an issue between the chair and the keyboard. Okay, here's the thing: is uh, it's not as good as Dragon Dictation, no, because Dragon Dictation is the best. Hi, Ryan. But. Hey, what's going on, man? Wow, what's going on? Wow. Yeah. Just been hanging out. Thinking about Ballistic Overkill yeah, right now. Yeah, me too. So trying to get some here's, kills. Here's <laughs> the, the AI is cool, and it really works. It works decently for what it is. The speech thing that they're working on. If we play Ballistic Overkill. Which is like an open source. Here we get like A whole open source ecosystem. We'll get a chance. Time system. At some so point, gonna he's going to stop talking. Man, I can, I, no, I'm purposely stretching this. <laughs> And I have no problem with it. Thank you. I'm gonna take. A, I'm taking off this case. We, we, no, we, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm taking I'm it sorry. off. We um, I'm taking it off. I was, was taking. I that was, was rude. Deb. Okay. <laughs> Here, All right. I think we're live now. No thanks to you guys letting me know that we're live. <laughs> hey, we're live. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, I've not confirmed yet, so Michael could be lying. Hold on. The, I was lying. Rocco, the, that's not enough. I want 44 questions on Thunderbird, and then I'll be happy. No, no. <laughs> then I'll consider being happy. Yeah, I still won't be happy. You could have done better, but 44 is the minimum. And I'll, I'll actually be disappointed that you didn't stick with 42. <laughs> and perhaps... Perhaps after we get 42, we should then have make sure that we do 15 for. (laughs) (laughs) Our job is done here, Michael. Yep, it's all done. It's perfect. (laughs) We we win. 
<laughs> Shutting you guys off. <laughs> yeah, there's about there's about four pixel difference right now. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> and just so you know, we're all terrible. So it's oh, except for Rocco. He's a cheater. He hustles. Yeah, uh, he but did. everybody else is terrible. terrible. So it's okay. So it's, you have to worry about. Even like, if you need any tips about dusting your shelf behind you, Rocco can give them to you while we're playing. Dude. Sure. Dude. <laughs> look, at, look at how spick and span it is, right? It's a teaspoon of pledge. I and yeah, I assumed that that, Rock, that Ryan was right, right about Rocco's like on this next wall. He just got like just a selection of dusters, and they're they're, <laughs> they're they're like special models, the ultimate duster. And then some people like, have gun racks. He has duster. Is racks. there anything wrong with wanting it clean? I mean, I don't know. No, we're, no. We're, we're we're basically ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're putting you down because of our lack of cleanliness. I love the idea though that Rocco could just reach to his duster shelf and pull out like a duster and then like lock it and load. <laughs> You're going down. <laughs> exactly. This is going to need the Duster 5000. The ballistic Duster. <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't have that cool sound. It would have to have some. No, it does. Even <laughs> you can mod it, Rocco. You can mod it. Or he just pulls a book and a shelf turns around and it's the collection of the dusters. It's all 007 like. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's when that's when he's got a real job. And he's got his friends there and he's like he's like and you get the mini duster, you know. I'm the worst with names. I really am. That's that's like it's something I actually want to improve on. Like people uh, with the name, understanding and remembering people's names. Uh, Michael. It's been an issue. Rocco. Rocco. Oh, who, who are you? <laughs> I know I do a podcast with you guys every week, but I have no idea who you are. But Ryan's name I'll remember because that's a good name. You know? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to be really confusing, saying Ryan and Ryan. It's going to be really confusing. Say right. you, can, you can just call me Das or Ryan something. I don't know. Das Ryan. Das Ryan. There you go. Whatever. <laughs> just call me Fedora. You can call me Ice Pick. I love it. Yes. You don't want to know how I got that name. Oh, I do really want to know how you got that name. I love it. But we can see. Let's just say that everyone who knows its meaning was left on that mountain. Mm -hmm. I went to, I remember my first day at college. I was sitting in the cafeteria and somebody came in and was like, Ryan, and me and like, 30 other people like, <laughs> looked over there and I was like, I was like, <laughs> like yeah, I, could, I couldn't have a more unique name. And that's when I became Ice Pick. Uh, <laughs> it, it all comes man, full circle. That's it. it. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. Oh, well done, sir. Uh, well geez. done. Yeah. Should I wear the red hat hat today? It's like, you, you do matter. And, and people love you. <laughs> No, I'm going to stick with Fedora forever. I'm telling you right now, at, at the last episode we do this year, I will still be on Fedora. Right, but when he says still be, he doesn't count the middle piece. Shut up, Michael. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get that let me get that for you, Ryan. Thanks, wow. man. I appreciate that, Rocco. Wow. You're a true bro. Wow. Rude. <laughs> the boss. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the boss. <laughs> <laughs>